I'm wondering how excited you normally get for Christmas. Not very. I want you to imagine that Christmas Day is next Wednesday. Because it is. How excited are you now? Whoa, because it's close. It's very close. How many more shopping days to Christmas? Two, I suppose. One and a half, should we say? Yeah. Do you get excited about Christmas? Sarah, our daughter, had this ability when she got very excited of projectile vomiting in bed. She would sit up in bed suddenly. I go, she could, it was like a flamethrower. It was like a hose. She would hose the end of the bed because she was so excited. Anyone had an experience here? No? no. Nobody. Oh. Do you, what happens when you get excited? Well, obviously nothing because you don't get excited. But what? Well, so when I was a kid waiting for Christmas Day, festivities to begin on Christmas morning, when my uncle and aunt and their two daughters, my cousins, were due to come, I would climb the stairs to the top of the stairs where there was a window which looked out on the main road down which they would drive. And there was a corner. And people would come around this corner driving their cars. And every car was an excitement to me until I see that it's not theirs. And it's not theirs. And the next one, and the next one, and the next one. And it seemed to me at that age to be never ending. When would they come? When? Why are they so late? Why? Why am I waiting here in such distress? Come on, come on. And more cars and buses would come, and they would not come. I have vivid memories of my expectations gradually being worn away by this parade of non-uncle and aunt cars. Ah, sad. But eventually they will come. Hey! And it was Christmas. The Jewish nation had been waiting for a very, very long time for their Messiah to come. Hundreds of years. Not just hundreds of minutes or even hundreds of hours or even hundreds of months, but hundreds of years they'd been waiting for this Messiah to come. And the promise to Abraham to be fulfilled because there was a promise to Abraham that through his offspring the whole world will be blessed and they were waiting for this to happen 
And then Isaiah prophesied strongly and other prophets prophesied that this would happen. And in the meantime, Moses had come and given the law from God. And it seemed like, hey, there was this promise, but now the law had come because we were going to grind on through hundreds of years of non-appearance. And it was like the law imposed its corner on everybody so that everybody watching for the Messiah to come was locked into this law corner. But then, he did come. And I've just summarised Galatians chapter 3, and I'd like you to turn to Galatians chapter 4, so that we can carry on with this. And as we do, I've asked some people to read some scripture to us to remind us of the words of the Bible. So, beginning in Genesis. So, off we go, guys and girls. Who does Genesis? Nobody, obviously. Oh, yes, here he is. Genesis 22, verses 15 to 18. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Mm. Next. Isaiah. Can I just say, um, I was down on the road to do the public pulpit in the Hearts Advertiser this week. I had to submit my piece by last Friday, and I included this very text. And then I got a message on Thursday to say that they weren't publishing this week. <laughs> so uh, I'm so glad that I'm able to read it anyway. Isaiah 9, uh, verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice in the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders and the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning and be fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness 
from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Mm-hmm. And Luke 1. This is Luke verse 1, 26 to 38. In six months, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favoured one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give you to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to, to your word. And the angel departed from her. Luke 2. Let's look to oh, that's a bit long. <laughs> Luke two verse one he says In those days it occurred that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus the whole Roman Empire should be registered. This was the first enrollment, and it was made by was made when Quirinius, the governor of Syria, and all the people were going to be registered, each to his own city or town. And Joseph was also up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the town of David, which was called Bethlehem, because he was the ha- because of the house of because he was of the house of the house and family of David, he enrolled to be enrolled with Mary, his espoused or married wife, who was about to become a mother. And while they were there, the time came for her to deliver, and she gave birth to a son, her firstborn, and she was wrapped him. She wrapped him in swaddled clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room or place for them to in the inn. Lord, in these moments, we want to hear from you. Speak to us, Lord. Enlarge, enrich our understanding of this wonderful season. In Jesus' name, amen. And so, in Galatians, Paul wants to talk to us about the way in which Jesus comes at Christmas 
as the intervention of God into our history that will restore our relationship directly with him. That this is the moment in history when God creates the possibility, the opportunity for you and I to be once again directly related to him. Directly in touch with him. Directly at peace with God. And Paul in Galatians wants to express this to us because there were many people who thought that the law should be the way to God, that keeping the law, that keeping the rules and regulations should be the way to God. That was how to get peace with God, they said. But of course, they never got peace with God because following rules and regulations always creates worry about how you're following the rules and regulations. It does not bring peace. It brings, yes, it brings personal self-assessment, but it's continuous and fraught with worry. Am I doing enough? Am I holy enough? Am I righteous enough? And Paul wants to emphasise again that Jesus came as a baby to live a life and to die a death that would enable you to cease to worry about your relationship with God. And he wants to show that this law drives you because of your need of a saviour to Jesus to receive the free gift that he offers of relationship with the Lord in peace, in security. And so I'm going to read uh, Galatians 4, 1 to 7 now and we'll spend a few minutes uh, looking at this passage. It's a, a little awkward because we're coming in following a big discussion in chapter 3, uh, but we'll get there. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. You might say, well, it's a bit unusual for Christmas. We're not supposed to be reading this stuff, are we? We're supposed to be talking about mangers and angels and kings and such like. Well, yes, that's all part of the story that I'm assuming uh, at the moment you know about angels and mangers. And I'm going to just pick up this theme that Paul has that Jesus came to give us intimacy with God 
You know, when you have a child, and a little child is in your hands and in your arms, you know, there is, you know, when it's your child, there's such an intimacy that is created in that relationship. From the word go. And it is so fascinating that each child that comes, you know, different though they are, there's that same connection and intimacy as they're born and you hold them. My child. And Paul wants to show us that God gave his child to us, that we might take this child and be as this child and be like this child that we too might be held by the Father in a position of intimacy, that our birth, our rebirth, creates this position of intimacy, this, this potential of loving life, of a loving relationship. The same as Jesus had with the Father. That's ours now. And so these first verses give you the message of Christmas that we were under guardianship. There was a law. We were, we were not the owners and the inheritors. We were still under this law which was guiding us to Jesus Christ, which was pointing us to Jesus Christ. It's saying, the law is saying, you cannot achieve this intimacy. You cannot be worthy of this intimacy by following this law. Try. I bet you you can't do it. And that's what happened. And, and people tried. And people still today try to work their way towards intimacy with God. In fact, some, some religions believe you, can't, you, you just can't do that. Anyway, God is too far above and beyond us and too holy that even to talk about intimacy like this is sacrilege and heresy for some religions. And what makes Christianity so different is that we don't work for our salvation, for our intimacy with God. We are given it by God himself. And this is so exciting. The restoration of this this meeting with Father, this, this ability to pray as conversation with the Father in heaven. Because that's what prayer is, you know. Some people feel prayer is uh, some sort of work, some sort of stirring up of exercise, of activity. And there is work in it, yes. Maybe you've noticed that. But primarily, what prayer is, for most of us, most of the time, should be that we are just talking with God, our Father in heaven. There's an intimacy, there's a directness of relationship between us and him. In this room, there are hearts after hearts after hearts that God knows intimately and that God converses with through the Holy Spirit. And that's what he's talking about here in Galatians. He's saying, look, 
Guys, Jesus came for this purpose, for you as Christians, that you do not go back to legalistic interventions in your life, but you stay intimate with the Father in heaven. That you stay in conversation directly with the Father in heaven. The point about the law was that it was indirect. You know, in Galatians 3, you can read about it being indirect. It was the, the law intervened between us and God. So you had to keep the law to, to be free to talk to God. And no one could keep the law in its entirety. And we discovered this, that we are not holy, we're sinners. And that we're not worthy. Through our sin, we are not worthy of even speaking to the God who is in heaven, to our Father. But because of Jesus... He makes us worthy because Jesus came. That baby in that manger is God's son. And there's an intimacy between God and the son. And as he grows, he lives and, and, and follows the Lord. He has conversations with the Father in heaven. He says, I only do what I see the Father doing. I bet a lot of his prayers were, is that you, Father? Are you doing that? Is that your voice telling me to heal this person? The pool of Siloam, all those people running to the water. How did he come to pick the one he picked? Because God led him. God led him day by day because there was an intimacy of conversation between him and God. What a wonderful way to live, don't you think? Knowing our Father in heaven loves us we walk with him, we talk with him, and he leads us day by day. We used to have an old chorus with those words in, and I could start singing again, but we walk with him and we talk with him. I can't remember how it starts. Anyway, a um, long time ago, my childhood... And when we discover this relationship is what this salvation is all about. This salvation is about exploding a huge bomb on everything that is our work. Everything that is legalistic. Everything that drives you to be a performer, to achieve a relationship with God. It just blows it all away with a huge bomb and God the Father says, here I am, talk to me. There is no intermediary anymore. The Lord came through an intermediary, it says in Galatians. A lot of people say, well, what, what, what? Didn't God give the law? Yes, God gave the law, but through an intermediary. There was someone between you and God. And in some parts of the church, they still live like that. They still live with the priest as an intermediary between you and God. And it's not right. There is nobody between you and God once you are born again. Nobody. Nobody can intervene in your relationship between yourself and your Father in heaven. Isn't that wonderful? There's no one to say, shut up. 
There's no one to say you're not worthy. There's no one to say this is not right. It is right. You can talk to the King of Kings as your Father in heaven. Well, what does this bring for us? It brings peace. It brings peace. To be in touch with the King of Kings is to bring peace. Because surely he is capable of handling your life in its entirety. Surely. He's the all-powerful one. He's the loving one. His thoughts for you are only good, not evil. To follow him is to follow life. You should have peace. Resting in him. Be still and know, I am God. Be still, rest. Rest, knowing, Father in heaven loves me. Father in heaven talks to me. There is nothing intervening between him and me. Isn't that wonderful? Jackie and I are reading this book by Anne Voskamp about, uh, it's, it's, it's a series of readings for Advent. And um, a couple of days ago, this is a phrase that really caught my attention. When the king rules your world, you cease to rule. Or worry. That's great, isn't it? When the king rules your world, you cease to rule or worry. All worry dethrones God. Did you ever thought of it like that? All worry dethrones God. All worrying makes you king and God incompetent. Powerful. And is it true you say it's not Bible, it's Anne Voskamp? Is she saying the truth? Well, yeah, it's logically, it's logically watertight. Let me read it again. When the king rules your world, you cease to rule or worry. All worry dethrones God. All worrying makes you king and God incompetent. Reminds me of that verse in the Bible, cast your cares on him, for he cares for you. Jesus came. We celebrate Christmas. Jesus came. And Jesus came to bring you close to the Father, that you might be able to live in peace and have a conversation with him and let him lead your life. Acknowledge his authority and his love over your life. Secondly, verses four to five, this lovely passage. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, 
so that we might receive adoption as sons. Jesus came not just to redeem, but to ensure that we were adopted. Adopted as sons and daughters, children. That's our status. That's who we are. That's who we are. We're children of God and it's children of God in an intimate relationship with the Father. That's your right. That's your, that's your inheritance. That's your right today. And Jesus, Paul wants to uh, tell us that Jesus uh, takes us from slavery to legalism, to working for our righteousness. He wants to take us out of that and place us in this position of sons where we receive freely our inheritance, peace with God. It's a common phrase through Christmas, isn't it? Peace with God. But what does peace with God mean for you in terms of peace for your life? Peace with God translates to peace for your life. Peace with God means worry dethrones him. You're saying, God, you're not capable. I want to worry. I'd like to have a good worry about this. We all fall into that trap, don't we, from time to time, don't you think? We have a bit of a worry. You have peace with God. And Paul wants us to recognise that Jesus is fully qualified to do this. It's lovely, isn't it? God sent forth his Son. It was God's Son. It was God himself. It was part of the Trinity, this mysterious relationship between Father, Son and Holy Spirit, the three in one. And God sent himself in that sense. He sent himself in Jesus. And Jesus was born of a human mother so that he was fully God and fully man in a mystery that no one can explain, although many have tried through the years. Fully God and fully man. And he was under the law. He was tied to the same conditions, but fully righteous. He achieved what man could not achieve. He achieved this righteousness under the law as well as being God. And there is this mixture of God and man that we can't untangle, we can't pull it apart. We can't say this bit of Jesus' activity was man or this bit of Jesus' activity was God. No, he was always God in the flesh. And so therefore, he had divinity, he had humanity, and he had full righteousness, and therefore he was fully qualified to give us this status, adoption as sons. So God took this initiative. It says God sent forth. When we see the baby in the manger, we're seeing God sending forth. God saying, the time is now. 2,000 years ago, 2,000 years after the promise to Abraham. 
when the time had fully come. That phrase is repeated in so many different places in the, in, in the scriptures, isn't it? That sort of phrase. He was sent forth. And what I love about this passage in Galatians is it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop with a baby in a manger. And in fact, it doesn't even stop with Jesus on the cross. It's like we, we slide past Jesus on the cross and the resurrection and we have adoption as sons because of all that. And it's like Paul doesn't want to stop there either. You know, at Christmas we tend to stop with a baby in a manger. Sometimes we talk about why he came. He came to die, we say. He came to die for us and our sins, which is true. And sometimes we say he came to die and to be raised again to give us new life, like his new life, and that's true too. All of that is true, but Paul wants us to go beyond that. And he takes us to Pentecost in this passage, and he says, Jesus came, sent forth by God. And so now, not only do you have status, but you are sent, you have this sent forth Holy Spirit. Read what it says. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts. Oh, what wonderful progression this is. That we have freely been given this status, adoption. You know the joy when, uh, when parents who adopt, you know, find this, finally sign the papers and all that stuff. There is a joy in that. And Father God in heaven has tremendous joy in signing the papers and saying, child, my child, each one of us, child of God. Isn't that wonderful? But beyond that, because God's initiative makes us freely children of God and brings the possibility of intimacy with him. Do you know what God does? He makes that intimacy real. He sends forth the Holy Spirit so that not only do we know in our heads that we have the status of sons, that we are free to stand before God in his family, in the kingdom, in the throne room, that we can walk in to the throne room clearly labelled child of God. But not only that, but the God himself says, hey, this is what I really, really want for Christmas. Really, really. Intimacy with you. This is what I want. I want this fact, this status to not stop there. And so many Christians stop there. I've got the status of adoption as a child of God. And that's where we stop, some of us. But no, that's not where God stops. God says, no, no, no. I want you now to experience what it means to be a child of God. I want you to experience what it means to be like Jesus in a manger. A child of God. And so he sends forth the Holy Spirit into where? Our hearts. 
not our heads. And so Paul wants us to understand this joy of Christmas for heaven. That here begins on Christmas Day, this process that ends with our heart relationship with the King of Kings. Where we experience the joy of being his child. Is that your experience? Christmas Day, yeah, we're saying, yeah, this is God's gift. This is God sending Jesus. And Paul says, yes, the same word, the same Greek word used to say, send forth Jesus, is also used here to say, send forth the Holy Spirit. God does both. He sends the Son and we get the status of sonship. He sends the Spirit, and we experience the same relationship of intimacy with God as Jesus had. Wow. When you pray, pray like this. Our Father, Our Father in heaven. Abba. Father. Good Father. And for those of you who have not experienced good fathering, even in a human sense, do not ignore this incredible gift that will bring you into the perfect fatherhood and the perfect fathering of the indwelling Holy Spirit. What a mystery this is. We don't usually look at each other like this, do we? Inside you, it's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is sent forth by God into our hearts. You know, you're going to go and have coffee in a minute and we'll all stand around chatting and, hey, there's Holy Spirit in each of us. Holy Spirit in each of us. What a mystery that is. How can the Holy Spirit chop himself up into so many million bits? Surely he's going to be a bit missing. Her. What an amazing story this is. That from Christmas Day to Pentecost, God delivers a package of his initiative that transforms your life and mine. Lord, we thank you for this passage in Galatians. I pray it will have illuminated our understanding of Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen.